0: Welcome to the Why and the What Product Management Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kahn, and today we're hearing from Matthew Halliday, co-founder and VP of products at Encorda. A little timeline disclaimer. This interview was recorded before COVID-19 struck. There's a point where Matthew advocates strongly for spending time in person with your customers. I imagine there's more video conferencing happening to make that occur today. We cover a lot of topics together, like table stakes features versus matching the competition without consideration, the importance of being willing to ask questions that make you look silly, how storytelling matters as a PM, when to grow your team, and if you stick around to the end, you'll hear Matthew compose a strong argument for how playing the piano has made him a better product professional. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Daniel. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Why don't you start us out with telling us a little bit about um, what InCorda is?
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, one of the co-founders here at InCorda, and uh, we're a company that's been around for just over six years now. And we're a unified data analytics platform, and what that enables us to do is to take, you know, data science, uh, business analysts, uh, data engineers, and to bring them around data for one unified data experience from beginning, uh, from data ingestion, all the way through to insights and understanding. And my role here is um, VP of products. And so I look after everything around you know product strategy and UX design and all of those elements around the product. And then also um, how we talk about the product as well, uh, being a product-led growth company where we're trying to really go out there and have people be able to engage and learn with the product. Uh, that's one of the things that makes it really exciting for us is that when people get their hands on it, they fall in love with it. And so for us, it's all about getting those experiences and how do we drive people to those experiences. As a founder, what inspired you originally to uh, build this company? So I'd spent my time at Oracle and Microsoft prior to um, co-founding quarter And what I had done there for, you know, close to 20 years was work with these you know, massive enterprise applications. And they were great for storing the business transactions as they happened. They were great for looking up individual transactions, uh, whether it's like an order that you might have placed or something like that. But when I actually came to getting understanding, people could look at the screen and say, look, I've got all this information. Can I start to ask questions about it? And they weren't able to. And really, uh, I saw this just being a prevalent problem uh, in the market. And so when one of the other co-founders approached me and said, I think I have a solution to this fundamental problem, I was just like, I'm all in. Because I'd known from my experience that this was something that was um, very much needed, uh, that all of the technology, all of the software, all of the hardware in the world, even at companies like Oracle and Microsoft struggle to do this. And when I saw the solution, I was like, and the idea behind it, I was like, yes, this, this is it. I'm all in. I can't go back to what I'm doing and so, really, I was kind of, uh, you know, forced against my will in many respects that I I couldn't turn my back. It'd be one of those things that, looking back in the future, I would go, you know, why didn't I do that? And it'd be probably one of the biggest regrets. And, you know, we all say you tend to regret not the, the mistakes you make, but the things that you didn't try and the opportunities you lost uh, that you lose. And so, I really wanted to uh, jump in and uh, really change the way we did things, Sh- shipped a lot of products, but quite honestly... I hadn't found that product yet that I was really proud to say that I had been, I had worked on, uh, not to the point that I wanted it to feel like.
0: When the, uh, the team was being put together, were you originally thinking yourself of yourself as the, the product person on the team, or was that a role that kind of developed as you figured out who was taking, uh, what piece of the pie?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so when you're at the beginning of a startup, there was four of us and we were kind of jumping in and literally you, you just do whatever you could to move the needle forward. And some days that was writing documentation. Sometimes I was working on a website. Some days that was doing a presentation or a proof of concept. Uh, sometimes this was you know testing the product or doing QA functions or doing design docs. And so it really would just do anything. And at the beginning stage, I spent a lot of time working with customers, listening to them, understanding what their needs were, and then explaining the solution, explaining our pr- approach and how we uh, thought about how you should do analytics, and then that really I think helped form uh, my 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 thoughts really in terms of where we should go with the product and the understanding of what our customers were really needing and seeing and how that was uh, being perceived by them as well. Uh, it was probably not until a little bit later, quite honestly, and the last uh, year and a half, two years, I've been really kind of rolled up my sleeves and taken over the product area, but I still you know work in other areas to given the, you know, the experience that we've had. And uh, just understanding the story, that's one of the things that you, you have as a, as a co-founder is you get to see and to know what you did at every stage along the way. And that's, that's it's really helpful to make sure that you can pass on those life lessons to people who weren't around and didn't understand what we were doing three years ago and why maybe we didn't go down a certain path. And so for them to understand that, uh, you're always kind of playing multiple different hats.
0: It's cool to um, have
1: that visibility
0: of what this all looked like from that initial idea through launch through now six years of uh, crazy growth along the way. Um, what did it look like uh, originally when you were figuring out what was the original le- release going to look like? Were you thinking about this as a uh, some sort of an MVP? How did you prioritize that, that first version that you were getting out in front of uh, users? Um, what did that all look like?
1: Yeah, so that, that was one of the things that was quite amazing about Encorda is that from the get go, it was really, our, you know, we had customers up front, and we went to them and we spoke about what we were doing. Uh, we had a real kind of beta proof of concept type product, uh, very much in its early infancy, not ready for prime time. And yet a number of customers were so excited about it, they said, you know, they were going to buy in. And in fact, they almost became our investors, right? They're so uh, we were almost funded by customers from the get-go, and so we weren't a product that was built for two years and then go looking for customers. We actually had uh, customers kind of pretty much right out of the gate, and worked with them closely to to make sure that what we were building would actually have you know value for them in the in the business. And so a lot of that kind of came from that, uh, and it helped us be you know just really uh, ruthlessly uh, prioritizing what we were going to do. One of the things I always like to say is to say. To say yes you know, to to one thing is to say no to thousands of things. But to say no to one thing is to say no to only one thing. And you really have to have that mentality because when you're in a small startup and you don't have many people and resources, you just can't say yes to everything. You can't just take on every request. As valid as it might sound or might be, you really have to kind of sit down and say, well, Is this what's, you know, our core differentiation? Uh, Is this what makes us different? Or is this just another feature that everyone else has and I'm just polishing stones, right? Just to look like everyone else. Or is this a table stake? Sometimes there are certain features that if you just don't have, your product's not that usable, Um, but then it's like you've got to get those table stakes but then the dangerous area to end up i think is the polishing stones where just people come at you and say oh this product has that can can you put that in and of course with software you often you could Um, but it's not about could we it's about should we and really it's going back to understanding what makes you different uh, and really putting all of your Um, bets and everything behind what makes you you know substantially different in the market uh, because that's what's going to succeed because otherwise people will just come and you know just make you know even you know shinier stone and it'll just be even more polished and you just kind of keep falling behind so it's just ruthless prioritization customer obsession Uh, one of the things that in quarter we really just you know did from the get-go is just make sure we don't lose customers right so our customer attention um, is is amazing Uh, it's like 99 percent and uh, it's just one of the things that I think have really formed where the product will go. And at the same time, you know, we're always looking to see what are the market trends, what's happening. And really the, the key to success, I think, in this is being able to accurately predict where the industry is going to be in two years so you can be there. You know, the famous adage of, you know, don't, don't skate to where the puck is, but skate to where the puck is going to be is what makes a really good ice hockey player. And I think that's, that's true of entrepreneurship and building products is you have to have your finger on the pulse. You have to be listening. Uh, you listen to everything. You don't necessarily do what people ask you to do. And you have to spend that time to peel back what they're telling you to really get at what's there. Because people really generally like to come at you with feature lists. And the big thing I keep saying is, you know, you know why, right? And you got to ask those you know, proverbial five, six, seven whys to get to the baseline. But it's really, unless you're prepared to go there and even look stupid, like, you know, why are you asking me why? Don't you understand this space? Why are you asking me, you know, I thought you were the expert? But sometimes you need to do that because sometimes people use terminologies that they don't fully understand what they're using, and they can mean very different things to you. Uh, so you have to spend that time to kind of unpack it. And, and that's really what I think really helped us uh, along our path.
0: How do you make those uh, ruthless decisions about roadmap and figure out what are the uh, the real table stakes that you, you do need to build this feature that a, a competitor has uh, versus what's differentiating you. I remember um, I um, right after uh, I got out of undergrad, I was um, selling computers with uh, Apple and Apple stores. And it was at the time where uh, the, the CD drives were being phased out in all the laptops. People would look at us like we were crazy for not having those. But um, I, I feel like almost everything that's being sold now doesn't have that. And like, how do you figure out where the puck actually is going?
1: Yeah, that, that's that's the million dollar question, right? Or the or the unicorn billion dollar question. So I think one of the, the reasons or one of the ways that you can go about doing that or figuring out exactly, you know, where is that puck going to be, is really to be ensure that, you know, what you're doing is providing value at the end of the day. And is it enhancing or is it just adding to people's kind of uh, mess in terms of what they need to do. Sometimes we add just increased process, but we're not transforming uh, how people approach problems. If we can get down to like, what is the real value that you provide and you really understand that at your core, you're going to know exactly how to stack up these features. Now, when it comes to you know, where are things going, um, that, that becomes a little more tricky because, you know, there's there's obviously new announcements, technologies coming out every day. Uh, who knows what's going to be announced next week? You can, you know, see what some of the research is, uh, is going on, but sometimes you just don't know, right? And sometimes products will come out and they'll they change the game. And so it's, it's uh, one of those things that I find, though, that generally speaking, we don't see that happening a lot in the sense that, you know, uh, in the B2B side of things, uh, generally, we know what people are working on to a certain degree. It's not, you know, it's not hidden. It's not like, hey, what's the new iPhone that's going to be coming out? And they try and keep all those things under wraps. And so we we have a good sense of where that's going. We also have a good sense of what, you know, customers are asking for, and what are the kind of problems they're trying to solve. And getting that is just really putting yourself in their pl- place, right? And always that customer empathy, understanding you know, what would I want to do if I was, if I was that person? And and for that, you've really got to do a few, you, you've got to kind of turn up your customer empathy, like really, really high. And you've got to turn down um, what you do with your own, you know, thoughts on your own product. Often you can be so in love with the product that you've built that you don't see its flaws. You don't see where its weaknesses are. It's like, this is your baby, right? This is the very thing that you've been working on. And, and if anyone would say your baby's ugly, you know, you get really offended. And so you really have to kind of dial that back and just really understand is that where are the people coming from? And the question I keep asking myself, and you have have to be really honest with yourself is, if I wasn't in this company in this role right now, and I was on the other side, would I pick this product? And that's the question you have to ask. If you can't honestly say yes, you know, that's that's when you know you're off, right? This is going to be like, this would be hands down the product I would use. And sometimes you might think, well, is it every single use case? Sometimes a use case might come up and the temptation is to say, well, yeah, it might fit. But again, you have to ask yourself, if if I was on the other side, would I use this software for that? And if you can start to kind of um, unpack those things and really get a good understanding of uh, where you fit, what the difference you make and how you change that, it becomes a lot easier for for you know making sure you make the right investments and you're not kind of just going down a... Uh, That rabbit trail of just following the masses in terms of making you know a lot of uh, shiny innovation around something that hasn't changed. The the illustration I like to give is you look at analytics in general. If you look at all of the logos out there and how many companies are doing stuff in analytics, it looks insane. Uh, It kind of reminds me of the the phones we had in the nineties. I don't if you remember those kind of. novelty phones. You could get the Mickey Mouse phone. You could get all these different types of phones, right? Like a phone that looked like an Apple, a phone that looked like a dinosaur. There's, you know, phones that look like high heel shoes. Like everybody's yeah, building the something. the lips and the football. Right. But w- was it was it changing anything? Did it like, sure, it added a bit of novelty factor. And, and I kind of think there's a lot of software out there today that's, in my mind, it's like that. It's not really much better. It's just a different option for people who might have a preference to a certain you know, approach. Um, but it doesn't really change anything. And, and really, that's what you want to be, right? If you've got a soft, if you've got a piece of software, and you're building a product that actually changes things, it's a really different conversation. Otherwise, it's really hard and you get caught up in the, uh, you know, what color should this be? And what should we do with this and that? And you get really kind of tied up in these things that at the end of the day, i like to say, does that materially have impact to people's lives? Does it really change what they do?
0: So thinking about things um as you said where you're putting yourself in the the customer's shoes and and really trying to ask the question honestly as though you were outside the organization looking in and making a decision about whether this is the product that you would pick, and it's fantastic to have that mental filter. How do you go about actually validating with the the market, with your existing customers, whether or not the uh, the decisions being made are resonating with them, and it's actually making those impacts that you hope it will.
1: Yeah, for me, it's uh, spending a lot of time with customers. You know, I try to make this a priority where I'll actually go and visit them in person. Uh, And it's something more than I ever did at my previous companies, Uh, actually getting out and spending time with customers in their locations where they work, right? Not bringing them out and just meeting them on your space, but going to where their offices are, really getting a sense of what their job looks like, spending the whole day with them, not just... You know, having a one hour web conference. Um, those are great. And we certainly do do those. You know, it's not that we don't do them, but I don't think they're a good replacement for just really getting to know your customers. And so for me, that's, you know, having to travel around and kind of spend time understanding, you know, what, what do you see? What, what's the value? How would you have done this differently? If we didn't exist, what would you, have, how would you approach this? Uh, answering, after, being able to answer those questions are super, super important. And then being able to, you know, dig in and say, well, what are the problems were you not able to do? Or where did it, where did you have frustrations that you wish, you know, we'd been able to do something for you and, and really understand the why and keep, you know, probing back just not just saying okay, great, let's go ahead and build that feature because then you can pass that. Because uh, often, you know, they, they'll they give you a bunch of features and if you just build them, uh, another customer will be like, well, what about my features? um One of the things I've also found that really helps with this is, you know, creating a product advisory board early on. I think this is probably one of the mistakes that I I didn't do, quite honestly, um, soon enough, I think. And the, the reason for doing it, I think, not too soon is that you kind of want to be able to um, make sure that, you know, you can keep your customers happy, you know, it's a little scary, quite frankly, right, to bring a whole bunch of customers together and think, well, this just turn into, you know, a you know, beat up session where people will say, hey, I, I got this pet you know, pet issue here that I want to fix. And someone else says, yeah, and they kind of, you know, gang up on you. But in reality, what happened was really, really different. I was sitting there and then all of a sudden, I've got, you know, two customers, someone customer says, hey, you know, um, I found that I need uh, you know some experienced people to you know manage the solution, and then the other, all the other customers kind of turned around, and I didn't have to say anything. I just watched it. They were like, "That's really interesting because I'm using you know the most you know run of the mill basic consultant I can find, and it's working great." And so I didn't even have to be in that. So my own customers were beginning to validate and surface to you know to the, bring to the surface the real issues that I needed need to be addressed. And so that also just helped them change. It wasn't just me being the um, you know the gatekeeper of this information but just realizing the moment you're bringing the community into it and you realize that this needs to be bigger than you this is it gets to a certain point where you kind of you bring this out you invite the community because these early uh, you know people who have um, bet on your product they're invested just as much as you are they have a different role but you can't just think that they're separate and keep them outside right you got to bring them in and open up so they can see everything, they understand, they get to meet each other, they know each other. That's a really important aspect.
0: It's fantastic to have um, those kinds of customer advocates that are willing to have the conversation where they're they're even suggesting solutions to each other, but also that they're bringing that understanding from their, their own space into the, the decision-making that you are um, trying to figure out what to build within the product and validating what it is that you're doing. Um, I want to switch a little bit over to the um, the growth of the the organization because I, I want to sort of leverage your understanding of how how that has looked over time. Being again sort of in that role where you've seen it grow from the beginning um when were you making your decisions around adding people to the team to actually help with your your product management uh, function within the organization what was the catalyst that uh led to your your first pm hire
1: yeah so Really, you know, you get to a point when you realize you just can't do everything, right? It's it's actually hard in some respects for founders to start kind of pulling themselves out. There was a time when all of us could just meet in a room, we'd discuss every topic, whether it was marketing, product, sales, and we'd be involved in everything. And then at a certain point, you have to start kind of just leaving conversations happen without you. And at a certain point, we see, you know we were working in different areas, and we said we need to bring someone on to help, you know, lead with the product, and those are really, really hard hires to get right. Uh, to bring in someone else uh, to just kind of run your product is is really, really difficult. You know, we, we tried it and it didn't work out. And, you know, that was where it was, you know, close to two years ago, I kind of uh, stepped in and took it over and and ran with that. Um, and then you start building a team from the ground up. And so at that point for us, it was, it was very apparent that, um, you need to get you know the right type of people on board. You need to get people who have the right mentality, the right approach. Uh, one of the things that I love to give out uh, to everyone who joins my team is this book, um, "The Founder's Mentality." It's a, it's an awesome book, and I think it explains um, how, uh, in reality, you don't have to be a founder to have this founder's mentality, and you, you want people with that kind of mentality. Uh, I think I had that founder's mentality before founding quarter um, and I think. You know, people who have it today. I'm hoping that there'll be people in quarter today who will go off and start founding their own com- founding their own companies in the future. And there's no better time to start doing it now. You know, you have an area, take ownership of it, and uh, really figure out how to make this the best that I can make it. How do I invest in this? How do I do everything to make this you know successful and to just always keep pushing forward, always keep pushing the needle forward. I think there was a time at the company when. You know, the answer to every question or problem that would come up would never be, we need to hire someone to do X, right? It was, yeah, I think I've got, I can do that. Let me take a stab at it, right? And you would, you know, roll up your sleeves, dig in and do that. Um, You have to be wary, right? That as you grow, that you just don't get a bunch of like empire building where people start to see this. Oh, I can start to assemble a team and then I can get a bigger team and, and be focused on the wrong metrics. I think very often we come from companies where, You know, the number of people in your company was the measure of success. And uh, that's that's a a real fallacy in my mind because there's no correlation between the number of people and, and the impact that you can bring. Uh, Some of the most impactful people I know have no people reporting to them. And some of the people who inspire me the least have huge numbers of people reporting to them. And so it's kind of reframing that and just saying, you know, this is what matters. This is where you can get satisfaction. I think at the end of the day, people want to go home feeling like they've contributed, they've done something uh, really, uh, really amazing. And, And those are the kind of people you need to get to. So it's really sifting through and finding out the right culture fit or the right people and, and having to move swiftly if, if they're not, because having the wrong people can really you know, mess things up. And uh, you know, really, you, you've got to take these decisions very seriously. Don't make them cavalierly because you know, it's not fair. People are you know, taking a risk when they're joining you. Um, and so it's, you, you can't just expect them to do that and say, hey, it didn't work out. Um, these are decisions you need to take you know, very, very seriously on the hiring uh, because, you know, firing is no fun for anyone and everyone hates to do it. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, sometimes you have to make those, those tough decisions.
0: So thinking about that as just part of the reality of, um, being in a leadership position in, in any, uh, part of a business where, where you need to evaluate whether or not somebody is a good fit and they're, they're bringing value, they're, they're effective in the role specifically, um, being the lead of your the product part of um, your organization. How do you actually go about um, determining how good someone actually is as a, uh, a product manager? How do you actually measure that?
1: Yeah, we're, we're at that point where we're definitely moving into, you know, more of the structured um, appraisal processes. And really that's, uh, I kind of view that as, if you're filming with like taekwondo and uh, black belt tests and just belt tests in general, normally when you go to those tests, at least with the test before you get to a black belt, you've kind of already passed the test before you get there. The test is really just a celebration of everything you've done, right? They normally only bring you to that point where they've already witnessed that you've you've demonstrated those capabilities. I kind of view that as that that's that's the, you know, the weekly meetings, right? You're checking in with your team every week. You're having one-on-ones. You're giving them, you know, constant cons- feedback. Um, it shouldn't be something you do every six months, right? I, I remember once, you know, I, I went for six months, had zero feedback from from my manager. And uh, you just assume everything's okay. And then, you know, you have feedback and say, hey, I, I'd like you to work on this. I'd like you to work on that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, it's kind of too late, right? You need to give it consistently as people are moving along. And so that annual review, in my mind, is really just the, the celebration of what that person's been doing. Uh, but you need to be checking in and, and unpacking what they're doing. And so part of that is, you know, my role is, is coaching, helping, pointing out where people have you know, some, some blind spots, maybe helping them figure out um, how to handle certain situations, uh, where they're going. I think a lot of the time, it's uh, the product will speak for itself. Uh, the features and the areas they have, they'll get to own it. They'll see how the market responds to it. They'll see how good of a job they've done in terms of how successful that that feature gets implemented, adoption of that feature. You know, feedback from the field. One of the beautiful things about being in a startup is you get so much more in terms of signals and inputs than I ever did at some of these larger corporations. Um, often you're kind of you know working in isolation. Uh, you don't get to hear from on the same day from pre-sales from customer success from technical account managers from partners and from customers and analysts it's pretty rare to get all of those in one day at a, at a startup or a small company like in you can that's that's a regular day right it's it's something that we kind of um, do all the time so p- you kind of get that real close kind of um, connection to the impact that you're providing and you know people see it Right, it's evident. Everybody knows uh, when you're doing when you're doing the job well, and ev- likewise, everyone knows when you're not. Right, so uh, there's there's really nowhere to hide. But for people who, who love this and say this is great because I uh, you know I have these opportunities, I have access to everything I want to do. It's a great place to be. Well, i say I'm I'm kind of bummed it took me you know close you know twenty years almost, uh, before I kind of came to this realization that this is really what I'm cut out for. Uh, this was kind of my calling all along, but, uh, I took the roundabout route of being in, you know, large corporations and missing out on that, that kind of entrepreneurship time of building a product.
0: It's a, uh, a cool place to, to be where you, you get to see that from the start. And it sounds like you've really, uh, narrowed in, not just on, on being part of that, uh, founder experience, but, but also taking on the, the product side of the role. Um, one of the things you said is you, you generally have this sense of, uh, when people are owning things and doing a good job as a, uh, a PM, what do you feel like actually makes for a a good PM? What's the profile of uh, somebody who is successful? What are you looking for when you're actually bringing somebody on board to the team?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things almost is just how how much you will be the voice of the customer. And sometimes, you know, you'll meet with engineering, and they will give you all these reasons why they can't give you a feature. And it's how much will you go toe to toe sometimes, um, and keep being, you know, advocating for that customer. Sometimes, um, you know, engineering might just say, oh, this, this would be really difficult, we should do it this way. And and they'll give you their compelling reason why it's so much more difficult to give it the way you originally asked for it and how this would be so much easier for them, uh, how much more, you know, quickly they could do it. And then sometimes you 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 can be tempted to make these decisions to say, you know what? Yeah, I get it. And you start advocating for engineering more than the customer. Now, of course, you need to listen to engineering. You can't just kind of not hear what they're saying and you've got to, you know, take the cost, right? What's the cost of this feature? Uh, there could be multiple implementation ways. But if you start going down that path where you're not able to stand up and and challenge, uh, that can be a problem. I think – for For us, in this particular area, you know product management can come from different disciplines there isn't a you know product management degree that we you know we took um, you know a lot of us will come from different spaces i think for our particular area though uh, you need to have a really good understanding of engineering right so coming from a computer science background really does help uh knowing how people write code uh what's the way, best way to architect something to be able to have you know, ideation with engineers, often I want the product management to be seen as just another person, you know, strategizing for architectural solutions, strategizing for how they should even implement the feature you're asking for. It's not just about, here's the user experience I want, Some, you know, often it's talking about how do we go about that and what's the way that makes the most sense. And so, you know, that's that's definitely one piece of it. It's uh, another bit, right, is being able to be put out in front of a customer. Yeah, I need to be able to trust you. If you're able to hear from customers, I need to know that you can respond to customers. Uh, if you go out there and you're representing the company, that you can speak to whatever they want to at uh, that time. Uh, you generally just don't go out there and listen. Uh, they'll talk to you. They'll expect things back. So it's got to be someone who can communicate well, who can you know listen, uh, really get down to the heart, ask the questions, probe. Curiosity, I think, is one thing that's kind of largely um is not uh given the value that it's had that it really needs in this area just constantly asking why just pulling back and just you know really taking an interest in their business and in their problem not being so wrapped up in the solution and you can generally tell those people get super passionate about the product but not super passionate about the problem they solve are generally on the p- wrong path, right? Um, they'll elevate their solution, they'll build it in certain ways, but really you know, fall in love with that problem that you're solving for that customer, that pain point that you go after. Th- those are going to be the people who make the best PMs. And, and for me, that's that's something I try and you know, prize out in the interview process is what do I see? It's not the person who's the smartest, right? I have a lot of smart people and sometimes they have zero comp- customer empathy. They have zero ability to... You know, pull back and make themselves even, you know, look dumb in front of people. I kind of like to say, you know, if if you if you are going to have your pride in your how you know smart you come across, you are going to make a really poor PM. If you are someone who's okay asking questions that sometimes make you look stupid, um, then then you are much more likely to be successful. Uh, I was doing an interview the other day, and and someone was talking about technology. You know, I knew the answer, but you know, I asked like, hey, you know, what is parquet or something like that, and. It's, it's pretty interesting, you know, people kind of look at you as if, like, part of it is like, do I want to work for a person who doesn't know what Parquet is? But um, sometimes I just want to see how people respond, right? See how how they respond on a personal level. Uh, at the end of the day, people don't interact with, you know, just machines with machines. It's humans. And we're creating interact- interaction points with humans. And if you don't understand people, study people, be interested in people, read, um, I think I think you're going to be at a disadvantage and I don't think you'll make a great PM. And you, you talk about this um, as
0: being the DNA of the, the organization being a, um, a product centric organization that really puts uh, customers first, which is uh, fantastic. How do you actually um, make sure that that DNA goes beyond the people with uh, product titles? How do you ensure engineering and marketing and everybody else is um, understanding The function of um, thinking in this way and and how that adds value, where do you actually make sure that that uh, DNA is uh, being percolated into those other areas?
1: Yeah, I I think for that, it's storytelling. At the end of the day, you have to be a great storyteller. You have to invest in that. You have to be able to tell the stories and you have to do it. You have to communicate it. You have to inspire people with it. You have to write internal blogs. You have to do presentations. You have to keep beating that drum. Uh, You have to make sure that people understand what your vision is, where you're going. Because it's not just, you, know, you might have clarity, but you know, a lot of people, they're, they're hitching their wagons to you as well, right? And then they need to know, where's this product going? And so often, uh, you need to get out there and to do that. And so I have a, you know, a weekly product blog that I do. I just did a town hall last week. I'll do a lot of webinars. I'll encourage the, West, you know, the company to come to those webinars, um, write bylines, various things, give out thoughts on ideas on various topics. Um, th- there's a lot of that. You know, probably a third of my job is communication and just being able to communicate in a way that people understand. And you have to say a lot more than you think, right? If you say it, and you think, well, I've said this so much, I bet you everybody in this company, or at least 80% of this company knows this by now. In reality, it's probably like 10% or 8% that know. Uh, You have to kind of really go over the top in many ways to get to that point. And, you know, studies have shown that when they look at you know, retention of messages, executives thinks everybody understands what we're doing. Everyone understands our direction, where we're going, the path we're taking. Uh, because it's super clear to them because they've had so many conversations about it. What they don't realize is, you know, one conversation or one town hall where you say, this is our direction, everyone. You know, it's, it's, as, it's as crazy as me saying to my wife when we got married, hey, honey, I love you. If it changes, I'll let you know, right? No, I'm going to reinforce that message for years to go, right? And so... It's a similar thing where I think people forget that and they forget that people need to remind of that vision because they need to check what they do. There's so many little decisions made on a daily basis that are going to be dependent upon that vision that you've put out. And if they forget that vision, they'll make the wrong decisions and it's not their fault, right? It's they didn't understand. They didn't know because you hadn't taken the time to invest in that. So it's it's super important to do that. On the on the marketing side, I actually um, have marketing as well, and so um, for that I you know spend a lot of time working with the marketing team, crafting the messages, putting things together to ensure that we can convey that message, getting the field ready. But a lot of that is capturing the 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 passion the excitement, the problems that you solve. And so one of the things we do is you know we write down um, case studies and we go down to the use cases themselves, the very specific, down to the detail. Why does it matter? Um, connecting that to the 10Ks of the organizations that we that we work with, and say, look, this problem that we solved, this is a big problem for them. It's listed on their 10K, right? And so, and this is how they struggled with it. This is why it was a big problem. And Now you can see in their 10K, actually, it's got better, right? And we're tr- we can attribute our product to that change. And being able to capture those stories, convey those stories, really helps people kind of get excited about it. The other thing we do, got to ask, just not familiar yeah. with the term. Uh, what what is a ten k? So a ten k is um, a document that um, publicly traded companies will will publish once a year, and in there they'll have uh, it's kind of a financial overview of the year. Some of these can be super long; they can be hundreds of pages. Um, but generally, you know, you'll get a good you know forty plus pages of material, and it will talk about all the challenges that fis- they're facing, any risk factors um, your key parts of their business. And so it gives you a lot of insight into the business problems that people are facing at an executive level. Um, so what are the kind of the key things? And if you think about, you know, OKRs, right, everyone talks about OKRs. Well, you can almost think of that as being, I guarantee the OKRs of the finance and the CIO office, et cetera, are going to be somewhat tight to that information in that 10k. And anything you can do to help move the needle on those things in the 10k you're going to find hopefully there's people further down in the organization that have okrs that roll up to that and that's a that's a good way for you to build start building useful products products that actually speak um, to the right people and actually have traction all the way up not just making you know one person happy but really aligning with the vision and direction of those organizations okay good to know that was a a uh, uh, learning moment for me so i'm going to start
0: looking for these now um, wanted to um, maybe take this as a, a time to ask about uh, resources. What are the uh, the best resources that, that you tend to recommend over and over to um, other people in the product space or um, just in a professional way? What do you feel like has um, helped guide your career?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be a little unorthodox here probably, right? Um, I'll say number one is the piano playing music, right? I have guitar and piano. And for me, um, I think it's part and parcel of how I think and how I approach problems. And bringing that creativity, you know, Steve Jobs always talked about, you know, humanities uh, with technology and the sciences coming together. I, I really do believe that's an important part. Um, but I, I read a lot. I look at a variety of different content. Uh, I don't believe in just being a one-trick pony where I just read and focus on product management documentation or product management blogs or podcasts, I'll draw from a lot of different aspects of life. And I think uh, that can really help you when you start to synthesize what you see in different areas and how you can apply it. And so some of the the key things I really love, um, it's actually funny, we're at the 20th anniversary of Joe Pine's book, The Experience Economy. If anyone has not read that for some reason, uh, I think there's a new addition out now, D- definitely get your hands on that. That'll that will transform how you think about things. We're creating moments, we're creating experiences, and I think especially in the B2B space, we have not been doing that. I think everyone gets it now when it comes to B2C, but I think, you know, we're well into the B2B side of this and some people are not doing it. And it blows my mind to think that we think this isn't relevant, especially when we have, you know, the millennial workforce getting larger and larger. Um, it's already the majority workforce. And um, at some point here, yeah, they'll be the decision makers and they will not tolerate a set of products that do not provide great experience. Um, another one I really love is uh, it's a podcast by Christopher Lockhead. Uh, it's actually one of the most popular podcasts uh, out there under the business side. It's called Follow Your Different. And really, he just talks a lot about to be truly legendary, you need to be different you need to create a new category and you need to be you know the category queen of that area. And so how do you do that um, and how do you kind of bring that to market? And a lot of the times people focus on hey, someone else has been successful, let's try and just, you know, get in that category, copy them. And then if we do that, it's such a big addressable market, we'll be able to like siphon off some of that stuff and we'll we'll do great. Um, in reality, the category Kings and Queens get about 74% of that category. So they get the lion's share of it and there's not a lot left over. So be different if you want to be truly legendary. I want to come back to the piano for a second. Um, what, <laughs> sure. what is it,
0: um, that you, um, how do you think of the piano as actually influencing your, um, your day to day? I
1: think, I think, I think it's one of these things, right? Uh, when you play the piano, you generally don't see progress, Progress with piano cannot be marked in a day-to-day, all right? It's not like, wow, I'm so much better today than I was yesterday. It's kind of like working out. It's one of those things where you need grit. You need to stick at it and you go through. Sure, there's occasional times where you kind of get breakthroughs. And, and that's kind of very similar in product. Um, but it's one of those areas that can bring immense enjoyment, uh, instant satisfaction when you you know finally master a piece. Uh, the other thing is I really think it just helps with uh, just – applying your brain to different sets of problems, right? Just to keep it malleable and and always challenging it. I, I play piano, so I'm learning Korean, right? It's just like you, you try these very different things that are very, you know, difficult, um, but it helps you kind of break out of this mold. And I think that the danger is, especially as a co-founder in a company, is to become, you know, myopically focused on just this one thing. And when you do that, I think you start to lose, the, you know, just how... Really, uh, the world is so much more multifaceted, and you need to keep those things, right? You need to eat great food and have great dining experiences. You've got to go listen to amazing music. Maybe you don't play it, but go go to the symphony. Go to your favorite rock concert, whatever it might be, right? Um, go go do an, a, you know, a paint night or something. Um, just... Try different experiences and see what those things feel like, and you might be surprised at what you know develops. I think often we we kind of get pigeonholed really young and very early on into a certain set of things, and think we you know think we can't do these later on, right? And we kind of say, well, that my destiny's been picked for me. This is who I am. In reality, I say challenge that. Um, look for these different things, and it's amazing how much of these other experiences lend themselves in. How many illustrations I might bring from music. Um, or just in the way that you know you listen to a piece of music and you learn the dynamics of it, and you realize that you know software should have some thematic elements of this right you 're creating moments there 's times in the music where it get really loud to capture your attention, and then it gets really soft, and you need to do those same things it 's the punctuation it's it 's the dynamic that needs to be there, and I think all these things are just they're they 're increasing your skill levels in those areas, and then you can apply those to everything you do. You're not just, you know, one part, you're just an amazing collection of experiences that is so unique. You are different, you are unique. When you bring those and embrace those, you'll have a very different approach and thought on how to tackle a problem.
0: It's a good answer, I like that. Well um Matthew, it's um, been a, a pleasure getting to know the way that you think about uh, product management and um, understanding the uh, the journey that you took um, getting to and through your time with uh, in Corda so far. so uh, all the best of luck uh, continuing to see uh, hyper growth there and um, success bringing value. Uh, so thanks for taking the time to uh, chat today.
1: Thanks Daniel it's been a, it's been an honor, a privilege
0: to be with you. Thanks again to Matthew for taking the time to chat. Links to the books, The Founder's Mentality, and The Experience Economy, and the podcast Follow Your Different can be found in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, you can help by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. To catch future episodes, make sure you're subscribed to the Why and the What product management podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service.